This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Last week was a lot of fun. Y'all remember? We talked about Hezekiah, talked about Isaiah, the archaeological find that they just like unpacked only a few years ago. So throughout the book of Mark, Mark is always asking the question, who knows? Who is Jesus? All the way through, he's always challenging the reader. Think about it. Chew on it. Wrestle with it for yourself. Come to a conclusion. Who do you believe Jesus is? And then Mark gives us an undeniable answer in the transfiguration. Jesus is on this mountain. He's glowing. His clothes change color. And then God Almighty speaks and says, this is my son. This one right here. This is my kid. I love him. He's awesome. Listen to him. And that answer is that Jesus is Yahweh, creator God manifested on earth. Then Mark changes gears a little bit. Because if the disciples have come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, now we have to figure out, okay, well, how's Jesus going to do all the messianic things that the Old Testament says he's going to do? How is he going to fulfill the role of the Messiah? And so Mark is going to spend the next six chapters dealing with that. Last week, we talked about how he rode in on the donkey into Jerusalem, how that was, according to Zechariah 9.9, that was one of the things that Messiah was supposed to do. We also looked at Malachi's prophecies, which we're going to glance at again tonight. We looked at Hezekiah, Isaiah, Jesus' ride into Jerusalem. And then we came to the conclusion that just like the power of God and his presence came to that first temple under Solomon's dedication. Do you all remember that? The cloud, the fire, the presence and glory of God was so heavy people couldn't speak. That was the exact same thing that happened in Acts chapter 2 with God's people. And the story where God came into the room like a mighty rushing wind and Tongues of fire were over their heads. A representation that God is not stuck in a building, some place called a temple. He is now with his people or who are his temple, mobile temples, which is incredible that God is with us. He is Emmanuel. His presence is in us. Man, if we actually grasped that, if we walked in the recognition that he is in you, the creator of the universe is with us. Man, how would that change our life? So the purpose of a temple, there's four purposes. One, a temple in the, in the Old Testament understanding is the place, the location, GPS coordinates of where God dwells. They saw the temple as like, that's his home. That's where he hangs out. That's where his presence is. And they had, they had an understanding of his presence being everywhere, but they thought, you know, it's kind of extra concentrated there. That's sort of like their mentality. The second thing was that it was the place that people would go to meet God. If they were like, hey, we're going to go spend time worshiping Yahweh God, then we're going to go to the temple. You got to go to the temple to meet him. You understand? The third one is they would go to the temple because that was where they would be purified. They would come and they would do these blood sacrifices and it was gory and gross. 
because this animal was a substitute for their sin. It would die this terrible death because it was the death that, that they deserved. And so this animal would die in their place as a substitute, as a purification for their sins. And then finally, it was a place of worship. There were actually levels of courts. Like this part of the court was where the Gentiles worshipped the non-Jews because the Jews could go further in, closer to God's presence, again, because they thought that's like his home. And so the, the, there was like the court of the Gentiles, and there was like the court of the women, and then there was like the priests, and there was the high priest. And he was like the one and only guy, the high priest, who could go into the actual most concentrated presence of God in what was called the holiest place, the Holy of Holies. So the place where God dwells, where people come to meet him, the place where people are purified, and the place to worship. All right, so let's look back at Malachi chapter 3, 1 through 4. You'll recognize this from last week. If you didn't hear last week's, get online, iloveelevate.com, listen to it. It was so much fun. Verse 1. This is God speaking. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. That was John the Baptist. He came to prepare the way. Then suddenly the Lord who you're seeking, he's talking in third person, will come to his temple. Suddenly, the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure in the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Like, think of bleach. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, which are representing the people, and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem, again representing God's people, will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So he's going to come to his temple, and then what's he going to do? He's going to purify it. He's going to purify it like silver when they boil it so hot that all the dross, the dirty, nasty stuff in the metal, rises to the top and they scrape it off, leaving behind pure silver. He's going to purify it like someone would take a dirty cloth and they would bleach it and get it so clean and white again. That's what God's going to do with his people. So we're going to pick up in the story. Jesus has rode in on the donkey. Right? They throw their clothes on the road, palm branches. Y'all remember this? Every year we celebrate Palm Sunday. And he comes riding in to the temple. Yahweh is suddenly coming to his temple. This is a big deal. Jesus, who is God in flesh, the presence of God manifested on earth, is coming to his temple. And that's where we left off last week. So what's he going to do? So let's pick up Mark eleven eleven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late in the day, he went out of Bethany with the 12. He took a look around. It was getting dark. He left. A little anticlimactic, right? So he went to Bethany with the 12. Just side note, Bethany was where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. Remember, those are two sisters and a brother. These were like his best friends in the area, and that was like home base or whenever they would come to Jerusalem. And so he came to the temple, and he went to hang out with them. Now note this. He looked around at everything, but because it was already late, he left. And the next thing that we get is this weird little story about a tree. Mark 11, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, so they're on their way back, from hanging out with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, as in it was full of green leaves, he went to find out if it had any fruit. Hey, tree, you got a fig? When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not in season for figs. It's not in season. There shouldn't be figs on the tree right now. 
And Jesus is like, yo, I'm hungry. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. His disciples heard him say it. He curses the fig tree. Yahweh comes to his temple, glances, dark leaves, curses the fig tree. This is a strange story, right? Now you got to understand, he's going to go to the temple that day. Remember, it was that morning. He's on the way to the temple, curses the fig tree, goes to the temple again. And then after he's coming out of the temple, the disciples are going to see the tree and it will have withered right down to the roots. Now it's split in half on purpose. The fig tree represents the temple here because Jesus got to the temple and he inspected it. He looked around and he saw everything that was going on. He saw the temple in full bloom. It was beautiful. It had been decorated by Herod the Great. It was booming, full of sacrifices and everything the temple was supposed to do. And he saw and he inspected it. And you know what he didn't find going on at the temple? He didn't find authentic worship. He didn't find fruit. And so this tree is representing what's going on at the temple. It looks lush. It looks beautiful. But it's not bearing any fruit. Remember how he looked around, but it was getting late. It was getting dark, and he left. The tree wasn't even supposed to be making figs. It was out of season. Because something new is happening here. The temple, the era of temple worship and sacrifices, is now becoming late in the day. It is no longer in season. Something new is happening That era is closing now, and Jesus is ushering in a new era, a new covenant, a new season of God's temple, of a place where we will meet God, where we will be purified, where we will worship. So the the fig tree is representing and paralleling the temple, and Jesus pronounces judgment from this day forward. No longer are you bearing fruit. So Jesus shows up at the temple On day two, this is the second visit. The first one, he looks around and inspects it. And he notices it's getting late. Curses the fig tree. Now he goes to visit the temple on the next day. Mark 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. And he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. All right, stop for a second. So people would come from all over the place yearly to celebrate this time of year. It was called the Passover. And they would have money from all sorts of different nations, wherever they were coming from. And the temple only accepted one form of money. So they would have to change their money. They would, okay, we'll count these strange pieces from this country, and we're going to exchange money that the temple accepts. And a lot of times, the people that were changing money would kind of rip them off and not give them as much as they were getting. They were also selling stuff. Remember how... They would come to bring sacrifices, but they had to be like perfect sacrifices. They had to be just white doves, just white lambs or bulls or whatever. And so they would sell like, oh, you didn't bring your own lamb? Here, hold on, I got you one. Here's a lamb right here. We've been growing them for a while. Money, thank you. You have a lamb now. So that's what's going on. So they found them buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money and the benches of those selling doves. And he wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said this, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. Turning point. And the chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. There you go. Here's where it begins. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. 
when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. They're heading back to Bethany. So what's going on here? Here we go. Verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree. Remember? It's split in half on both sides of the story. Withered at the very roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you, fig tree you curse is withered. Remember Malachi 3, 1 through 3? The temple represents Israel. Yahweh's people, God's people. And he's come to purify them like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. John tells the same story in John chapter 2. And he recognizes Jesus' zeal and he quotes Psalm 69.9. It says, for my house, you have so much zeal. And he recognizes that in Jesus. All right, so I want you to catch this. This is so interesting. Way back when, rewind time, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. We've already had Adam and Eve. We had the flood. We had all those interesting things going on. Tower of Babel, mixed languages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then out of the nations, Jesus picks one guy. His name was Abram at the time. And he calls Abram and says, Abram, I've got a job for you. I want you to start walking. I'll let you know when you arrive. But I have a blessing for you. I'm going to make your kids abundant. So many kids. They're going to be like you can, the uncountable stars in the sky and the uncountable stars grains of sand on the sea. And I'm going to give you a land that's just your land. And he says this, I quote, and through you, all nations will be blessed. And Abram became the father of the Jewish nation, the family of Israel. Abram was the father of Israel. He became Abraham later. Then he has one son, Isaac, and God comes to Isaac in the middle of the night. And that was 12 for Abram. Check out Genesis 26. He does the same thing to Isaac. He says, Isaac, I'm giving you the same promise. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have all these kids. I'm going to give you this land. And through you, quote, all nations will be blessed. Isaac has two kids, Jacob and Esau. God comes to Jacob. Jacob, through you, kids, land, stars, through you, quote, all nations will be blessed. Remember how Isaiah was so intricately involved with Hezekiah? Isaiah 60, 1 through 4. Isaiah is talking about how there's like the sun in the sky, but the glory of God is so much brighter than it makes the sun superfluous. Ooh, go look that one up. Makes the sun just like not even comparable to how bright and glorious a God is, that when God actually comes, that we won't even need the sun anymore because his glory will be our light. But right in the middle of that, Isaiah says that that light will draw, quote, all nations to himself. All nations. Israel was supposed to be a beacon to the nations. God started with Abram, into Abraham to be like the dream team to win the world. And they became this really uh, introverted, self-righteous, we got it all together, this is just for us kind of attituded people. To the point that they're like, they don't even want to talk to people outside of their little nation. Gentiles, which is everybody but a Jew. Everyone in here, Gentiles, me, you, French, Italians, et cetera, et cetera, we're Gentiles, we're non-Jews. They were supposed to be producing fruit. They were supposed to be that light to all nations. Now get this. This blew my mind. Guess where all of this money changing 
and animal selling was happening in the temple. Anybody want to throw out a guess? It was happening in the court of the Gentiles. Now, if that didn't hit, consider this. You are someone who actually wants to learn about this God. You actually want to sacrifice him and purify him. You want to become a worshiper of this God. And you have your own special place to come and worship and be purified. And you walk into your court, your place, and it's nothing but chaos. They were blocking Gentile worshipers from coming to God. Imagine going to Walmart on Black Friday and being like, I'm going to have my quiet time in the middle of the aisle. Like, that would be crazy. You just, you wouldn't be able to focus. You wouldn't be able to, and imagine them. They got camels and carts and, and loudness everywhere and animals being sold and chains rattling. And they're supposed to come and worship God? The Jews have become so unfruitful that they were actually blocking the nations they were supposed to be reaching from coming and worshiping God. And Jesus sees this, and he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for who? Come on, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for crash, who? All nations. He is purifying. Yahweh is coming to his temple to purify it, to be the son of righteousness, to draw all nations, and the temple is not producing fruit, just like the fig tree. Click, light bulb, bling. Temple represents Israel, God's people. And they are not bearing fruit. As Jesus says, you're never going to bear fruit again. And the fig tree withers. Hang on to that. That's going to come up again. So Jesus returns to Bethany. And the third day, he comes back. Mark is the only gospel that talks about Jesus coming to his temple three specific times. Luke has Jesus come in and he throws out the money changers and then just says, and he came to the temple daily. Matthew records two different instances. And John, John's just all over the place. But Mark actually gives us three different instances that Jesus comes to inspect. He comes to cleanse or purify. And then we get this one. This is verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? Now, I'm not going to read like the next three chapters. But Jesus is going to spend the next two or three chapters teaching the temple, teaching God's people, teaching Israel, representing all God's people. And he's going to confront every Jewish sect there was. He confronts the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the chief priests, I feel like there's one more, and the scribes. Every, every Jewish collective, every bend on their theology, Jesus confronts it, except the Essenes, and they're out in the desert storing away Old Testament scrolls and taking baths. And he deals with every single one of them, and he just takes apart these guys. It's so much fun to read. Go and read it. But here's a couple of things that you need to know since we don't have time to cover it all tonight. He's going to tell a parable about a guy who buys land who grows a vineyard on it and then leaves it in the hands of tenants or servants, and he goes to another land. And while he's gone, he sends some of his servants to go see how things are going, and the guys are like, wait a minute, hold on. We want this fruit for ourselves. We want to make this money ourselves. And the master's gone. What's he going to do? So they beat up the servants and send them away. And the servants go back, and the guy sends more servants, and they beat up those servants. And then finally, he's, the guy's like, I'm going to send my own son because they'll respect my son. 
So he sends his own son, and when the, and the vine keepers see the guy coming, they're like, mm-hmm. if we kill this guy, we inherit all the land. And so they murder the owner's son. And Jesus is like, what do you think that that owner is going to do when he comes back? And they're like, oh, he's going to kill them all. And he's like, Jesus is like, judgment, exactly. Because over and over again, God had sent prophets, and he had sent righteous kings, and he sent messengers, and over and over again, they were rejected and rejected, and then God sent his own son. And Jesus is foretelling exactly what they're going to do. Remember that verse we read? And from here on in, they look for a way to kill him. Jesus goes on to teach about the loving of God and people, because the scribe comes to him and says, what's the greatest commandment? What's Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor like yourself. What are we supposed to do? We're called to love God and love people. And then we have this little lady with her widow's mite. And they're all dropping the big money change, bing, into the pot. And this lady comes, and all she has is this little tiny, like a tenth of a cent to drop in, but it's all she owns. And God, and Jesus, like, elevates her. And she's like, yes, this woman is awesome. She gave everything she had. And then he walks out of the temple, and he turns around. This is on his third visit. So he had inspected the temple. He cleansed the temple, and then he taught the temple. And on his way out from teaching it, we get these verses. This is chapter 13, verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what beautiful buildings. And Jesus said to him, You see these great buildings? There will not be one left here, not one stone upon another, because they're all going to be thrown down. And Jesus is prophesying what's going to happen in 70 AD, 40 years from then, when Rome is going to come in, flatten the temple, destroy the nation of Israel, and Israel will not be a nation again until 1948. Rome comes in and obliterates the existence of the nation of Israel. And Jesus is foretelling that. He concludes his third temple visit with prophecy. He's referring back to that humble fig tree. This temple is going to be destroyed withered up, no more fruit. Because the season of the temple is ending. The sun is setting on that. Because something different is happening. In John, we get a, a parallel story to this. It's John 2, 18 through 22. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us that these things are going to happen? And Jesus answered to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he's speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. And they believed the scripture that the word that Jesus had spoken. You see, a new season is coming. That old temple's not bearing fruit anymore. It's gone. It's withered up. It's going to be destroyed. The new season is here. That Jesus is the temple. He is the place of manifested presence of God on earth. Jeremiah 31 talks about that God is going to write a new covenant. And it's not going to be written on stones. Remember the, the apostles, look at how beautiful these stones are and the buildings. No, no, the new covenant is going to be written on our hearts. Jesus is that new temple. And then to catch up with last week, Acts chapter 2, God comes to his people. And God's people, you, me, become the temple of God. Check this out. 1 Corinthians 6, we read it last week, verse 19. Paul is writing, Or do you not know 
that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What price? The highest price that could be paid. What, what animal, what blood could purify the human heart? They've been slaughtering animals all these years to try to purify a building and the people that go in and out of it. What sacrifice would God use to purify his people? It would be Jesus, the only righteous lamb. He is the perfect Passover lamb. His blood sets us free from bondage. God's people, his church, you to church. Turn to someone and say, you to church. You to church. You're his people. Check this out. Wrap your minds around this. You and me are the temple of the Most High God. You are the place where God dwells. You are the place where people can come meet him. Let that sink. You're the place. It's in you that you're purified. It's the Holy Spirit in you, the spirit of holiness. Side note, remember how they had lots of idols? They had like the God of the Nile, the God of wheat, the God of the sun, the God of the big toe. They had the gods of everything. Think about the name Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of holiness. What is his work to do? To make God's temple holy. That is his role. You are the temple of God. And finally, it's you, the temple, that brings worship to God. You're filled. Remember Acts chapter 2, that wind, the fire. You go speak in other tongues. This was God founding his church, founding his new temple. United. That we go and meet God, that people meet God through us. This is John. This is Jesus' prayer. 17, John 17, 22. Jesus is talking. He says, the glory that you have given me, Jesus is talking to the Father, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world will know that you have sent me. How does the world know? How do all the nations know? How do all the families on the earth know that you have sent me? It's because, because we're one with the Father and we love like God loves, like Jesus loves. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Purified, like with a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. I love this. If you're you're like, "Uh, what's with this? What do you mean I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit? Purified. Think for a second about David. I love David. He's so emotional. He's like the most high roller coaster emotional person that you can read about. But he's so real. I love this. Psalm 139, get this. David is crying out to God and he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's anything grievous, if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is going to God going, it's only through you that I can be purified. Search me, know me, shine light into every dark corner in my heart. Every place that I'm not, I'm wanting to keep hidden, reveal it. Isaiah chapter 1, 18. God is speaking and he says this, Come now, 
Let's reason together. Let's talk, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, like red, like blood, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Galanderer's soap. God is saying to you and me, we can be purified. Maybe there's somebody in here that's like, I've got this sin and I can't, I just feel guilt. Wrecked. This sin's too big for God to forgive. (laughs) You're the one God's targeting. You're the one that he's going, I got the bleach, let's go. Crawl up in my lap. Let me wrap my arms around you and love you again. Don't run from the person that can purify you. Run to me. Jesus was on a cross, and he's looking at the people that nailed him and whipped him, and he's saying, Lord, forgive him. How much more when you come before the throne and go, God, I blew it. Please forgive me. And you know what? It's awesome because the Bible says he doesn't just take your sin. He takes your shame and your guilt too. That's freeing. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's that unity that, that Jesus was talking about. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. All sin. Amen? Yeah. If we say we have no sin, (laughs) we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's going to come in and purify us like with a refiner's fire, like with a launderer's soap, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you're the place where God dwells. You're the place where people can come and meet him through your love. You're the place where you're purified, where people can come and know the God that purifies. And you're also the place, and our lives should be the place of worship. What is worship? Is that just music? Is that just guitar playing and an amazing worship team up front? No. Jesus dealt with it. You got to go back and read those chapters where he's teaching the temple because he hammers it. Our worship is to love God, and our worship is to love people. We're called to be the temple. That is, to bring worship to God, to be the conduit. Because if God is the son of righteousness, if Jesus is the son, S-U-N, as in bright, illuminating the whole world, if he's the son of righteousness, then I think we're supposed to be the moon. The moon doesn't shine itself. It reflects the glory and the brightness of the sun. You can tell where the sun is. If you look at the moon and only half of it is illuminated, you know, like a half moon, thumbnail moon, You know where the sun is around the world because you can see what side of the moon is illuminated. The moon directs you to where the sun is, even when you can't see the sun. Come on, this is profound, guys. When people come and meet you, they should see the light of Jesus in you. They should be directed and know Jesus through you, the light of the world. Man. That. Loving God and loving people is our worship. That is part of being the temple. Somewhere in Brazil, 
a woman named Maria had a daughter. She was getting to that sort of angsty, I want to be an adult, but I'm still kind of a teenager kind of place. Her name was Christine, and Christine couldn't wait to just get out of their nothing town to break out of the dust and go into the big city and live the big life. And Maria prayed for her. And she was so afraid this girl is just going to throw it all away. And you know what? The day came that Christine goes into her room, packs a suitcase, grabs a handful of money, and announces that she's leaving. And she heads out. She's on her way to Rio de Janeiro, this huge city. And her mom is so broken. She knows She knows what it takes for a young woman to survive there. She knows what hunger will drive someone who's desperate to do. She knew what that city would do to a young, pretty girl like her daughter. And so one evening, Maria packs her own bag and she drops by the supermarket, particularly the photo booth, and she takes the very little money that she has and she just starts printing photos of herself as many as she could buy with her little bit of money and goes into Rio de Janeiro and she starts visiting every bar, every strip club. She starts walking the red light district, every place that she knows that prostitution is going on and she starts taking her picture and she starts sticking it to mirrors in bar bathrooms and on the lampposts of corners until eventually she ran out of money and she ran out of pictures and went home. And in the middle of the night, Christine comes walking down the stairs of a hotel and she's feeling disgusted in herself. She is broke, she is dirty, and she's given it all away, trying to survive. And at the foot of the stairs is a little bulletin board and a familiar face. And she was shocked. She couldn't believe what she was seeing. And she tears the picture off the pin and she turns it over and on the back has written the words, Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And Christine went home. You see, God pursues us. And he comes through and with people who are his temple to pursue us, to find us. And when he finds us, he meets us and purifies us. Remember what the prodigal son He comes and he bear hugs his dad and his dad brings him a robe and the ring that represented authority in the family name. And he put shoes on his feet and brought them and they killed the fatted calf and had a party. He was ready, excited to receive him, to restore him. You know the thing that separates us from God? The most are pride and shame. We run from God because of pride and because of shame. Don't miss that. So many times they're intertwined with each other. Pride drives us away from God. Shame makes us run from Him. And yet we have a God that is waiting with open arms and He's saying, whatever you've done, whatever you become, it doesn't matter. Come home. I'm waiting. I'm ready to restore you. I'm ready to to lay my purity over you, to make you righteous again died on a cross so that my blood could purify you. Please come home. And you know what's crazy is that when he purifies you, 
then you join him and it becomes you that he uses to seek another. How crazy is that? It's like he comes and he finds you and then you join him in the finding. Isn't that beautiful? That's because you're the temple. That's what God does in us. Elevate. You are the place that God dwells. Elevate. You are the place where people can come and meet him. Do you realize that? When you're at Walmart, at school, on social media, you are the place that people can come and meet God. Maybe that's convicting because you need God to do some purifying. Not really live in a great temple lifestyle right now. You are the place where people can come and know the God who purifies. You are the place of perpetual worship to him. And your worship is loving God and it's loving people. You are the temple, Elevate. You are the temple, men and God of righteousness. Men and women of God of righteousness. You are that temple. Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill your temple. Be manifest in us. May the words of our mouths and the actions of our hands give glory to you. someone in this room that totally felt pegged whenever I was speaking about someone feeling like they needed to be purified. And you're the one who's got this sin that either it's a repeating sin or it's the sin that happened before that you feel that you can't be forgiven from. With every eye closed, want to speak to your heart. Imagine this huge water dam and that dam explodes and water explodes out of it, covering everything. That is the love of Christ for you. And you stand tiny and infinitesimal at the foot of that dam and his love is so much bigger, so drowning, that there is no sin that you can carry. There's no sin that can't be defeated in the wash of his love. If that's you, take hope and take joy because your dad is calling. He's got your number and he's saying, there's nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you've become that can separate me from you. Come home. imagination to imagine wrapping your arms around him. Imagine the look in his face. And it's not a look of judgment. Imagine him taking a cloth and beginning to wipe away the dirt from your face, from your heart. That's the kind of look he has in his eyes that kind of love. 
if you're in here and you feel like, I've been a lousy temple. (laughs) People certainly don't meet Christ when they come to me, when they hang out with me. Good job. I'm glad that you recognize it. May the Holy Spirit begin to work in you and open your eyes for a way that you can love somebody with the love of Jesus tomorrow. Allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you to begin to worship through how you love, how you love the Lord and how you love people. Be challenged to begin to spend time with him on a daily basis. To get into his word, to pray, to begin to listen for his voice. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you would make us your temple. Boy, we are, we are unworthy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that your worthiness is laid over us so that we can stand boldly in your presence and before your throne. Lord, purify your people. Give purpose to your people. And let us be a people of worship. Let us be a temple of praise. In Jesus' holy and incredible name, amen. I love you, Elevate. Elevate, don't text and drive. In everything you do, choose wisdom because 30 seconds of indiscretion can destroy a lifetime of testimony. But a lifetime of testimony can bring a multitude to the Father. You know what? Living for Jesus is dangerous. But the only boundaries of what he can do through you are the boundaries that you set when you play it safe. Love God, love people, love yourself. Thank you for everything that you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Elevate, go and make it an amazing night. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.